0: Former President Donald Trump was indicted today for trying to overturn his loss to Joe Biden. We have to win in November, or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going to change the name of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvanians have a unique role with democracy and freedom. We have seen Pennsylvanians rise up at the ballot box. The work of making this world resemble one that you would prefer to live in is a lunch pail (inaudible) job. Hi, welcome to the Keystone Reckoning Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse White. Today, we're going to be talking about the endorsement, or lack thereof, of the Pennsylvania Democratic Committee in the upcoming U.S. Senate primary. So, for those of you who missed it, the state committee met this past weekend. Uh, They met in a hybrid, so it was partially virtual for anybody that couldn't make it due to COVID or, as it turned out, a blizzard, and in person for anybody that wanted to be there. And for those of you that have never been to one of these meetings, this is how it works it's the state committee members that are elected uh, by different districts, all have a vote in whether or not somebody should be endorsed. And the way it works is there's a first ballot, everybody votes, and then you have to get 15% to make it to the second ballot if nobody meets the th- two thirds threshold, which is a pretty heavy. Number to meet. If you if nobody gets two thirds, everybody that got at least fifteen percent moves on to the second ballot, and that's exactly what happened here. Valar Kush did not get fifteen percent, so she didn't make it to the second ballot. So when they got to the second ballot, uh, Connor Lamb came in with about sixty one percent of the votes. Uh, John Fetterman came in at twenty three percent, and Malcolm Kenyatta came in at now I have to do math. Looks like about. Sixteen percent of the votes. So, because nobody got sixty-seven percent, there was no formal endorsement. So, and an interesting side note that Politico picked up on was that there was a a counting error where there were several individuals whose votes were not counted. Uh, but everybody's been assured and the lamb campaign has acknowledged that it was uh, a technical difficulty that came along with the, you know, the hybrid approach because it was the first time it had been done and that it really, it, they knew it wouldn't have made a difference. So it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, yes, there was a little bit of a stumble, but it was, it, it had no bearing on the actual result. So uh, and it's interesting that the way that the different candidates approached it, right? So the Lamb campaign obviously was putting a lot of emphasis on this. They saw this as a big opportunity to jump over Fetterman in money uh, and momentum more than anything else. So f- from all accounts, uh, Connor Lamb was working the phones pretty hard. He was calling committee people multiple times. They were doing mailers. They were doing you know every. Was, it was basically a little mini election that most voters. Will never, you know, that we don't even see. They were, you know, they were basically campaigning to a very small set of people that would have the power to give an endorsement. So there was a heavy pitch made there. And obviously, he did well. I mean, in addition to this, you know, as part of the 61 to 62 percent he brought in, he also got the endorsement of the uh, State Committee Democratic caucus, or I'm sorry, Hispanic caucus, which, you know, w- which is definitely nothing to sneeze at. So and and the reason that was given behind that, we they talked about Connor's accessibility and all these things. Now it should be noted that you know Connor also, you know, he's kind of come by the title of institution candidate, uh, you know, insider candidate. Honestly, uh, in that you know he first ascended to Congress in a similar process. In the old 18th congressional district, Uh, you know, he was nominated by at a nominating convention among committee people, and he worked the process. You know, he he used his political connections, and and you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just what he did, and he was able to jump into that race. He beat Rick Saccone. He gets elected to Congress in the first big victory uh, after Trump was elected in that special election that had national attention. And then redistricting, he gets into a safer district, and now it looks like the district's going to disappear. So he decides to run for U.S. Senate. Okay, so that gets us to where we're at. Uh, there's clearly, you know, Connor is definitely a uh, a moderate to conservative de- Democrat by anybody's accounting, including his own. Uh, you know, and there are people that are saying, well, that's exactly what you need because we need a centrist, we need someone that can, you know, be a voice of reason and moderation that could win statewide the left side of the party is saying that's exactly what they say about Joe Manchin. And do we want to go through all of this to get a Democrat elected who at the end of the day, isn't going to be all in on democratic policies and ideals. And it's a, that's a valid complaint. I mean, our valid concern that, you know, this, we're, we're about to go to war um, against whoever the Republicans put up for this crucially important U S Senate seat to replace Pat Toomey. And if at the end of the day we get somebody that we're nothing but frustrated with the entire way through, it's gonna be a big letdown for people. It's gonna be a huge frustration. So there's a lot of there's a lot of concern on that part of it. And we're as as this election gets closer, we're going to dig deeper and deeper into this on the podcast. There's a lot, you know, I have a lot of stuff planned that we're going to talk about and people that we're going to talk to about this race. But I think that this endorsement situation is a good microcosm of kind of where things sit. So you have Connor who's working the inside game to some success but not the level of success where he could have come out and declared a clear victory. In the process, uh, it, it should also be noted that Connor is getting a lot of endorsements from like the building trades and a lot of traditional Democratic stakeholders. But and this is a whole other subject for debate. You know, I, I would make the argument that the. The the building trades and organized labor are not the democratic stalwarts that everybody thinks they they are or that they once were. Because I, I think if you look at where they actually give their money and their support, I think you'll see that it's not really what people think it is. But that's again something for another day. So that's the Connor Lamb situation. The Fetterman folks came out afterwards, and you know, knowing uh, that they couldn't possibly win the endorsement, you know, kind of made it as a, a badge of honor. Right, that, you know, well, we you know, we weren't trying for it, so the fact that we didn't get it doesn't really make a difference. That's the you know, that's the way that they framed it. And you know, that's the smart thing to do politically, right? If you know you're not gonna win, you basically say, Well, we didn't want it anyway. And that seems to be exactly what Fetterman did. And given the fact that Fetterman has, you know, a polling league, given the, the 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 fact that he's raised so much money uh, you know, because of his you know national profile. You know that's probably the right tack, right? You know he's going to say, okay, so the insiders, yeah, uh, you know, the insiders are don't want John Fetterman to win, right? He could turn that around and use that almost as a rallying cry and say, look, you know, the establishment doesn't want John Fetterman, therefore you should want John Fetterman if you don't want, you know, if you want to, you know, the the Democratic version of draining the swamp, so to speak. Um, I, you know, I, I it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. Um. You know, because I, I think there is a thought. Hey, wait a minute, John Fetterman's the sitting lieutenant governor. There should be, you know, how, wait, shouldn't it be a done deal that the, the party should be behind him? Well, obviously, you see, you know, uh, you know, anybody that's on, you know, that's been paying attention to this has known for a while that's not the case. And I think that other people, the kind of the the casual observers of this, casual voters, are going to start to see that too. Uh, that it's not. It, it's by far. Not the slam dunk that everybody thought it was going to be, and you know, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Also, Um, I I think that, and again, this is something we'll get into in a lot more detail. I I think that uh, Republicans, I think that their opposition research on John Fetterman is much deeper than the than the op research they have on Connor Lamb, Um, and that's just the reality of it all. Um, I I think there's, you know, not that there's some dirt or skeletons or anything. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about good, you know, policy arguments, established positions, things of that nature, uh, that they'll be able to haul out and, and give, uh, you know, a better argument against Fetterman, uh, than they would against Lamb. But at the same time, uh, you know there 's something to be said for enthusiasm, and if Democrats are enthusiastic about John Fetterman and they 're lukewarm on connor lamb i 'm talking about the progressive end of the party, the activists, the people that knock the doors and make the phone calls or write the postcards if they 're not excited about connor lamb then they 're not going to you know you 're not going to get the same uh you know the same enthusiasm and an enthusiasm gap is important so there so 's a lot of moving parts here um the other piece of this that that needs to be discussed is Malcolm Kenyatta the state representative from Philadelphia um African American openly gay candidate uh who announced very early uh and you know he's gotten some significant endorsements and and he's you know you know out there doing the work you know like the other candidates obviously he doesn't have the financial resources uh he doesn't have the name ID especially outside of Philadelphia but it will be very interesting to see where he comes down in this. Is he going to stay in this to the end? Um, where if he does, I think that that hurts John Fetterman if it's a close race. Um, I think the progressives that would, uh, that would be voting for Malcolm would probably be votes that would normally go to Fetterman. However, there's also the issue... With Fetterman and the the story about him tracking, you know, chasing down the African American with a shotgun outside of his home years ago, and that has left a bad, bitter taste in the mouth of a a lot of folks as well. So there's, uh, it's it's not a given, but I I think that there there would be more inclined to swing Fetterman's way at the end of the day. So you have all these different moving parts, but to me, when you add all this up and you look at it. It doesn't really change a whole lot, right? There's, you know, Fetterman has the money and the lead in the polls. Connor has the institutional support. Malcolm Kenyatta has kind of a a small but devoted following. And uh, Val Arkush is is kind of on the you know on the the fringe and would have to do I think something pretty substantial to to really make a, a significant inroads at this point. But again, who know, you know there there's uh, being the only woman in the race. There's something to be said for that. She's from the southeast. There's you know it's a very vote rich environment a Democratic primary. So there's there are a lot of things there. But to me, the fact that the party didn't endorse is a blessing, because all what's going to happen, what have happened is. If the party had endorsed, and everybody just goes and does what they were going to damn well do anyway, all you're doing is setting up all these democratic in war, infighting, and all these you know these little uh, these battles of you know in every county. Well, I'm for Fetterman. Well, you can't be because you're a state committee person. And the, the the party endorsed this person, and you're the, it turns into just a giant mess. It's just a huge mess of Democrats fighting with Democrats uh, over you know. A lot of in you know uh, inside baseball that really doesn't seep its way out into the general population, and it just creates a lot of uh, disharmony and a lot of conflict within the party, which obviously is something nobody wants right now. So I think in a race this high profile, uh, I think the goal, and clearly I think that was the goal of of the other candidates, was just prevent Connor Lamb from getting the endorsement so we can avoid all of these things. Um, and I, I think that's where we ended up. So. In a way, uh, I, I think it's it's better, and and personally, I think it's better to to leave this as an open primary. Um, we still have plenty of time. These are very different candidates with very different policies, very different personal stories, uh, and I think there will be a very clear contrast for the voters to choose from. And I think that the voters are definitely paying attention. This isn't going to be some race where like no one knows what's going on. You know, we're going to know who we're for and what we're about, and that is you know that, that's a good thing it gives the it gives the candidates the opportunity to do outreach until the last minute and to kind of work off of a blank slate. so uh, you know sometimes the best action is no action, and that's what we saw here. So that was just a quick uh, a quick uh, update on what happened in the uh, with the Democratic Senate primary um, obviously, and we'll talk about this more coming up soon is the Republican primary where it, we're already seeing not just ads but we're seeing negative ads between Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick and and all this other crazy stuff. So the the spending there is already getting ridiculously out of control. Um in in as to be expected when you have a bunch of really rich people that no one knows about so you have to do a ton of money on name ID and those sorts of things so it just goes to show that this is going to be one of the most expensive senate races in US history uh you know from from the time we start to the time we're done and i think i'd be remiss if i was talking about the the state committee Without mentioning one of the most impressive feats I've ever seen, which is Josh Shapiro going on, uh, unopposed for the endorsement for governor because he is running unopposed, and that is a pretty damn impressive thing to do. And it, it goes to show the strength of Josh's political machine, um, you know, and that he was able to establish that as someone who ran statewide in 2020 and won, where other than Joe Biden, he was the only Josh is the only person that won his reelect for attorney general. He he showed he could win statewide. He can raise a ton of money. Uh, you know he's he's well vetted. He's been around, and you know he he's gonna. You know he was clearly the best candidate in terms of you know the the absolute necessity of holding the governor's mansion, and I think that everybody kind of saw that, and there were people that were that were looking at it and realized that this was just going to be a, a you know a, a bad. It, it, they were it, you were going to make more enemies than friends by jumping in and mounting a hopeless campaign in a primary where you were going to be dramatically outspent. You were going to attack the front runner, which would have then given ammo to the Republicans uh, this way, the Shapiro campaign can sit back they can hold on to their money they can keep their powder dry and wait for or the republican bloodbath to uh, to sort itself out, although I firmly Am in the camp of believing that it will be Doug Mastriano, the the psycho state senator, um, is going to emerge on the Republican side. But that could be that's a debate for another day. So, anyway, that's our update, uh, and I will be back. We have a couple of really cool things coming up in the next couple of days. Um, uh, Great, a very interesting congressional candidate. I'm not going to say anything else, uh, but uh, we'll be talking to her later this week and I will be talking also about the lieutenant governor's race, which uh, ties into some of these things, but it, it merits its own conversation. So, stay tuned for those. Uh, as always, I appreciate your listening. You can uh, learn more at keystonereckoning.com. We function solely on donations. Uh, so, please, if you have the opportunity, keystonereckoning.com. There's a huge donate button. takes you directly to our app blue. And that allows us to have the resources to keep the podcast going and do the voter outreach that we need. Thank you very much. I'm Jesse White. Have a great day. Well, that's it then. We've saved people the trouble of voting. What's next? Our our point is that it's... I understood the point. We're going to South Carolina to set up Illinois. When I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So what's next? We're done. Fantastic.